Hi, Drew. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing great. How's this week been for you? Been pretty awesome. Get to hang out in Seattle with all my favorite people. It sounds like you might uh, have an itch to move here, too. A little bit, a little bit. Looking at some property. We'll no, see. We'll no see how no promises, I imagine. But No, no. Well, yeah, it's kind of up in the air. It's hard to relocate a lot of rabbits, sell a house, move the wife. Which one's more difficult? The wife. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although she sounds to be doing uh, the more research. She is. Yeah, she's super into it. But, you know, you know how it is. Pacific Northwest, it just hooks you, doesn't it? Yeah, it's gorgeous up here. The weather's great. Like, it's a cool town. The people. Yeah, people and the area. I mean, you know, not that we don't have trees in Savannah. We do. We have like these gorgeous live oaks. But up here, you've got these, you know, real trees. They're huge. They're gigantic. The trees are so big. The mountains are gigantic. Everything is so big here. Like, even the water feels bigger, you know? Right. Like, you see it when you're flying over, and it's just like, wow, that's a lot of water. <laughs> like, the Atlantic Ocean <laughs> just feels so, like, oh, look, it's a little baby ocean. Right. When you see the Pacific, it's just it's crazy. There's something about going to the ocean and just standing there and trying to take it all in and fathoming. You know, it's, it's a little bit like looking up into the stars, right, in the sense that you feel like this little drop of nothing. Yeah. And uh, there's something about walking up to those mountains too that gives that same feeling right the vastness of everything like i'm just a little person yep these trees are way bigger way older and way wiser than i am so this week has been pretty cool for us um we've been hanging out with a bunch of people you and i have kind of um connected some more yep. uh, the first time we met was actually here in this space mm -hmm. and since then we've been kind of realizing we have a lot in common actually yeah um, right down to the shoes right down to the shoes that's true <laughs> so so give me a tour of your shoes here okay so um i'll give you the backstory too so i had um lower back problems for a long time i have a uh what's called a lumbar sprain where uh that in conjunction with scoliosis it's light scoliosis it's not like you know my back doesn't look like a cue but right at the base it pitches forward and to the right so i'm crooked Oh, just a little bit. It's okay. We still love yeah. you. Right, right. Um, but even being just a little bit crooked uh, can really throw you off. So I had back pain for years and years and years, starting when I was a teenager. And um, then I started wearing Chuck Taylors. And I was like, oh, hey, look at this. My back hurts less. Huh. Well, what happens if I just like go all the way flat? So I got some soft star shoes out of Portland, Oregon, makes these wonderful um, handmade leather shoes that are completely zero drop. Like it's, they're called barefoot shoes, you know. Yeah, I've seen them, they're like four or six mil or something like that. Yeah, right? they're super, super thin. So I started wearing those and my back problems went away. And so... From the Trek Taylors to the Soft Stars, was this just instinct? You just thought, okay, I'm, this is better, so I'm going to keep going on this timeline? Or yeah. was, was there someone who influenced you well, or some research or something? So the best man at my wedding um, had bought some Vivo Barefoot shoes, which are similar, but like they're not quite as extreme as the Soft Stars. And so I said, well, that looks cool. Let's take it to the logical extreme All right. and get as thin as possible. And I do have some Vivo Barefoot shoes as well, 
but now that I work in media and I can let my personality be a little bigger, you know, I figured, okay, well, those shoes have not really gotten the use that they used to. They just kind of sit in their hole and I'm wearing my, you know, burgundy with stars on them, soft star shoes that I had custom made. My wife calls them uh, my hippie shoes. She <laughs> hates them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. She thinks they're hideous. What? But I love them. I'm on my second pair. I wore the first pair out. Uh, I wore them until they got holes in the heels. And then I wore them for another year after that. <laughs> And then I finally convinced her to let me buy another pair because, right. I mean, they're not cheap. They're right. like 120 bucks. But if you're wearing them literally every all single day, day, all the time, right? Like even this pair, I, I realized they were the identical pair because you have like a toe patch on them. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I do have. I, I wore out the, uh, the right big toe like area and uh, I actually did that pretty quick. I, oh, really? So I didn't kind of fucked up. Uh -oh, so here we go. Well, what I should have done was I should have soaked them in water when I first got them and stuffed a bunch of paper in them to help them kind of uh, relax and break them in before I put them on. But I didn't do that this time. I just kind of shoved my feet in them and I was like, yes, my shoes are here. I'm so happy. So I was just wearing them straight away and I didn't, you know. I didn't like size them out a little bit before I started wearing them. And that's how I got a hole in the tip of the shoe. So, but my wife was kind enough to put a patch on it. And I think the patch gives them a lot of personality. Yeah. I, I almost kind of wish I had her put the patch itself on the outside so that it was like more obvious. There's always the more, next pair. Yeah, right. True. <laughs> or the next hole. And have you done any like, uh, so one way that I got into this and that I started learning about this was through barefoot running. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But it sounds like for you, these are just everyday shoes. Do, do, have you ever done any barefoot running at all? Um, well, I have run in these shoes. Well, that's so that's sort of what I'm referring to. Yeah. No, I, I, Quasi barefoot running. Let's I know say. what you mean though. Like taking them out on a trail and, yeah. and just going to town. No, I haven't really. Any hiking or anything like that? Like some, some non-flat surfaces? Well, sure. Okay. So wearing them around all the time, even in here in Seattle, um, you know, on Monday we went to Friday Island and we had right. to hike down a trail from the, uh, from the parking lot, like. Seattle, you hike from the parking lot to where you're going. So, yeah, a little bit, you know, but I I haven't ever necessarily gone like out of my way to go to some specific, you know, trailhead right. or anything. And uh, just because I haven't done that in probably seven or eight years, I haven't like really done any real hiking mm -hmm. since I moved out of, uh, you know, Appalachia. Uh, but no, I mean, you know. Whatever life throws at you, right? Yeah, it sounds like you just wear them in whatever situation. But uh, how's your back doing now? Because it's been better. a few years now you've been wearing these, right? So It's great. It's um, My lower back doesn't like hurt barely at all. And, you know, another part of it is the mattress. Uh, I got rid of like the traditional mattress and I got a tuft right. of needle. Nice. Uh, yes, those are amazing. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Um we looked at like them and purple and Casper and decided the tuft and needle was the way to go. And I'm so glad we did. Yeah. So. No turning back after you do that. Right? Oh man, I know. And like, you have like a hundred days to try it on like day three. I was like, there's no way this <laughs> thing's going back. <laughs> this is mine now. So nice. Yeah. 
Uh, it really pays to learn that stuff about your body. Like I've been going through, as you know, a little bit of a food journey mm -hmm. uh, the last several years. But uh, man, it certainly pays to figure out the optimizations for your own body. And some yeah. of them apply to many people. Like I know the... Um, you know, the zero drop shoes work for a lot of runners who've been having injuries and stuff like that. Oh, okay. um, because there's something about running shoes that once you wrap your head around the industry and, and the sort of the way your body wants to run, mm -hmm. you know, if you look at how our feet are built, um, they're just giant springs right. to absorb impact and things like that. So, yeah. Um, so if we put our tinfoil hats on just uh -huh. for a moment, um, yeah, the whole, the whole thing about arches, right? Your arches are supposed to be flexible. So as you're running, the arch is supposed to compress and supposed expand. To. And, right. So people get these shoes that full arch support means that your arch is rigid. It doesn't move at all. And, yeah, I, I don't get it. But, I mean, I know that, you know, foot experts for however, you know, dozens of years, because I don't think shoes have really been built like tennis shoes for longer than what like 70 80 years right so that's well, kind of a new experiment if you ask me absolutely and <laughs> and what's interesting to me is that you said foot experts and you kind of did an air quotes thing there. right yeah and uh but i see that in so many different areas of life mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. food experts is a whole other question right sure. and so i sort of self-identify as a contrarian okay. um and i wonder if that applies to you as well in that you kind of like testing the boundaries a little bit. Oh, sure. So I don't know if I would go with the term contrarian for myself, more just curious and inquisitive. And well, that's like, where it starts. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, not necessarily believing that everybody who talks about something with authority necessarily has their shit together. Um, you know, just kind of being aware that... There's a lot more out there than we don't know than we do. And even if you think you have something really pegged, like I really, really know this, there's always something that can throw you for a loop. Um, I mean, how long did we think the earth was flat? And, you know, some still do, but... Let's not talk about I know. that. <laughs> Let's not go there. Uh, just leave that one in the corner. Mm -hmm. um, but... You know, how long did we think that versus how long did we, how long have we known about the black hole at the center of the galaxy? How long have we known about other black holes that are floating around in space? Like, uh, we are discovering so many new things all the time that I never find it a safe bet to just say this is definitively true. Right. Yeah. Knowledge is not fixed. R right. Like, well, and that's, um, that's why I don't identify for like any religion either. I'm agnostic. Okay. Okay. So, uh, I, I don't have anything against people who take things on faith, but to me, it requires way too much faith to be an atheist or to be, uh, you know, any other religion where you can't, uh, this is obviously stuff that cannot be proven. So like I, that's convenient, isn't it? Yeah. And it's, well, just beyond that, I mean, it's Okay. You know, if people want to believe in this, that, or the other because that's how they personally feel, I'm very, very uh, sensitive to that. I've taken a lot of religion courses. I actually know quite a bit about a lot of different religions, but I can't subscribe to any of them because of my refusal to believe things that 
I don't necessarily understand fully or can't quite uh, prove, you know, like it's just not, it's just not something I'm comfortable doing, if that makes sense. Is it because you have like a, would you say you have a really sort of a technical scientific mind first and things need to fit into that? I don't know. I mean, my degree is in the arts. I've spent a lot of time in the arts. Audio is probably more artistic than it is technical. There's plenty of technical elements to it. But I I don't know if I'm quite a left-brainer that way, you know? Uh, Or right-brainer? I honestly can't ever remember which one is which. (laughs) But I I think you take my point. Like, I I don't know if it's because of a scientific nature or just because I'm just kind of weird like that or kind of not, um, I don't know, not willing to take things on faith. Right. I think being weird is a feature actually. It's not a bug. No, no, no. It's definitely, <laughs> uh, it's definitely something you want to keep. Yeah. Sure. Um, for me, uh, you know, the more I learn about you, the more I realize that we're very alike and we often get confused. Actually, some people tend to confuse us, which I'm fine with. Um, it has happened so many times. Yeah. I love it. Similar height. I don't know. Your yeah. hair is way better than mine, but uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe not today, <laughs> but, uh, there's some, um, sort of links to me in there mm-hmm. in that you mentioned being curious and having an open mind and being okay with changing your ideas. Right. Sure. That's a really important thing as well and i wondered how that connected with linux for you like linux is a little bit of um of a deep topic that you always end up learning something new Mm -hmm. um and if you sort of pretend that you know it all then it's very you you know you're very quickly in a bad place right things are changing so quickly and well and it's just such a huge landscape yeah fair enough you know i don't think even linus torvalds while being the kernel maintainer, could say, I definitively know everything about Linux. You know, like, it just doesn't happen that way. But I came to it, I was in high school, and uh, so this was probably 1999, 2000, somewhere in there. And um, a friend of mine had Red Hat Linux, pre-Red Hat Enterprise Linux, just Red Hat Linux. And he had it installed, and it had X Windows on it. And, uh, and he said, Hey, come here, look at this, look at this cool thing. And that was the first I'd ever heard of seen, you know, touch, tasted, smelled Linux. And I was like, what, wait, what is this thing? Like, it kind of looks like windows, but why is the cursor an X and not like a pointer? That's weird. These are simple questions, but profound. Right. And I, I found it really cool. And I, immediately was intrigued and like, okay, I want to know more about this thing. So I went and got myself a magazine and uh, put Mandrake Linux on Mm -hmm. family computer. I um, screwed up the dual boot order. So it went to Linux first. And my dad was like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Can you fix the boot order so that at least goes to Windows first? And okay, dad, yeah, sure thing. I got you. Um, Eventually got my own computer and, you know, kind of went crazy uh, trying out different things with Linux, getting, you know, IRC installed and running. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is back in the day of 56Ks. So, you know, I had to... uh, not be on all the time. So, you know, I had to plan my, my dial up internet in there. But yeah. And of course, you know, it just grew from there and I've been, 
uh, you know, slowly piecing together more and more knowledge through the years. In the past few years, I feel like my knowledge has grown much more quickly than it had ever before. For what reason? Well, part of it is this job. Okay. Fair part enough. of it is my last job working for an MSP where I was doing more business and computing. So even though their target wasn't Linux, just because I love Linux, I was putting at least part of my focus into learning more about it. And I did get to do some Linux stuff, mostly like server-side appliance stuff. I uh, got to work with Datto a lot. And uh, learning the internals of the Datto was really fun. Uh, learning more about the deeper Linux networking and how to, you know, connect to open VPN. You know, we'll call them routers, but they're essentially virtual appliances. And get... A computer that joins a VLAN with that um, firewall, that virtual firewall, to then automatically route its traffic to an open VPN running in a data center somewhere so that it can have an American IP. Like, that kind of thing was really fun for me. Sounds like a playground, really. It kind of was, yeah. And now, you know, with JB... I get to do even more. <laughs> and you've got a massive smile uh, on while you're saying that. <laughs> I'm so happy about it. It's like, I feel like I'm home. Okay. Wow. So, what a feeling. Right? Yeah. Like, like I've, like my whole career path has been kind of building to this and I'm finally here. And now I just get to enjoy all of this and all of you and our listeners too. And, Everybody has been so accepting and inviting and wonderful, and I'm just super happy to be here. Isn't it great to find a place where you can wear your crazy shoes and have your crazy hair or whatever, right? And 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 everybody just says, go, man, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's great. And I've had that, you know, every single time I've met up with people in the JB community, it's it's been really the same. It's been, hey, be more you. Because that's what we like about you, right? And uh, I'm assuming for you, you're you're touching on the community and and the internals of JB yeah. on a daily basis. So it's just like, hurrah, be Drew, go 100 <laughs> percent Drew, right? <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's what I get to do now, day in day out. Um, even if I'm sitting there spending my days editing, which is pretty frequent, that's what I was hired to do. So. Um, but even then, like I get to, I get to actively decide which direction I'm taking with like how to mix something, mm-hmm. and I feel like I actually have the autonomy to uh, decide a little bit about the sound of a particular show and to start moving something towards something that's maybe a little more natural for me. Um, there's not a lot of like pushback for that. It's just like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Okay. Nice. I like, which is not something that you're used to coming from like super corporate culture yeah. where it's do it my way. Do not argue with it's me. It's more like hierarchical, would you right. say? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So less collaborative. Exactly. And part of that is being, you know, back in um, media, entertainment, the arts, whatever you want to call it. But part of it is just, the fact that I think that the Linux community especially is very receptive to 
you can do your own thing and you can do it in your own way. And that's fine. It really encourages niches of niches of niches, right? It's <laughs> for better or for worse, you know? Right. Well, it, it allows explorations in a whole bunch of angles that maybe the corporate world right. would have no interest, right? But then these flourish into yeah. projects that people are super passionate about. And sure, we have fragmentation. Sure, there are, yep. you know, however many GitHub projects out there with abandoned code and all of that. But at the end of the day, there's a lot more good stuff than there is not good stuff, to my mind. And you've been watching this happen for mm-hmm. years and years now. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I've been and grown with it. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> like, you were pretty young when you first got connected to this. And it sounds yeah. like you didn't really have too many gaps in there. You were just always diving right in and, and learning different aspects about it and implementing your own technologies at home and stuff like that. That's just kind of the way I am though. I just kind of throw myself into projects mm-hmm. and learning stuff and like, Oh, I want to, I want to do this. Okay. How do I do this? All right. Let's go do it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> do you tend to do like three days of research and then throw yourself in or do you just throw yourself in and then uh, learn what you need to along the way? I think some of it's a safety curve. Like okay. I did a little more research on how to change my brake pads properly before I actually went and did that than right. say, you know, uh, let's throw a piece of software on my server and hopefully it doesn't crash. Um, a little more life and death with the brakes. Okay, you know? got it. Uh, got to bleed the lines correctly so that when you step on the brake, something they actually, actually happens. Something. Yeah, yeah, that's uh-huh. important. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it just, the, the safety curve is kind of the important part of that question. Sounds like a pragmatic approach. I hope so. Just crazy <laughs> enough, and yet with a mind to safety. Right. <laughs> Not that I haven't done, you know, stupid shit like getting on ladders at, you know, a little higher than they should be or maybe this thing isn't secured well enough or something. Yeah. You know, I've done all that stuff, too. I'm trying not to now that I'm like, you know, married and old. And married and old. <laughs> You're not that old, Drew. <laughs> I know, but uh, I tell that to my knees. Right. Well, maybe the shoes will help. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, what are there any projects you're working on right now that you're really super jazzed about? I feel like I'm kind of between stuff right now. Okay. Uh, getting ready for this sprint was uh, kind of a project in and of itself. I and can imagine a little exhausting because we had a lot of like pre-records and things like that that I had to you know sift through, and I still I didn't quite get them all done. I was hoping to be like a week and a half ahead coming into the sprint. But I was only like half a week ahead. So I've got, you know, some stuff to do. But as far as projects, I've always got stuff going on at home for sure. Like uh, I have a lot of rabbits and a fluffle of them. Yeah, I do. It is a fluffle. Yeah. Uh, And right now we're trying to rejigger their living arrangements. So that's certainly a project, and they're picky. So they have personalities, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, our newest is uh, Drew Junior. <laughs> Come on, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> Why is this? 
Because I finally got Jackie to let me name a rabbit Drew Jr. <laughs> uh, I've been trying for years, and it finally I broke her down. Does and, she get a Jackie next, or is she just not interested? She's not interested. All right, all right. <laughs> she could totally have a, a Jackie Jr. if she wanted to, but I just <laughs> don't think she cares. She, she's not quite, you know, on that spectrum that I am. Right. Like, yeah, no, she's uh, probably a little more sensible. So, yeah. But... Drew Jr., while I've been here, he and Min, his his like roommate, essentially, uh, had been moved downstairs. And Jackie has informed me that they decided to tear up our nice leather couch. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. And, yeah, like, and she even covered it in blankets and everything. He tore through the blankets to get down and tear at the leather couch. Wow. Like, yeah, he's being a real butthead. So got to figure out something for him because mm-hmm. we like the room they're in but we don't like their behavior in the room they're in so i don't know that's such an adventure too of trying to to discover that stuff um mm-hmm. and once you get it it's amazing for everyone right, right. well but, uh, i hope in that so interim stage <laughs> hopefully i get there and it's great but yeah i don't know figure something out you were showing me earlier how to record uh, a little bit of audio mm-hmm. we recorded something that is near and dear to my heart <laughs> and i think to many listeners hearts would you, would you give us a tour of that sure okay so we wanted to record the jupiter bell because we didn't have a good sample of the jupiter bell there it is so what we ended up doing is just pulling out my handy recorder my h5 it's a wonderful little piece of equipment. It's uh, by Zoom. I highly recommend it. Use it as an audio interface or a portable field recorder. And in this particular case, what we did was we hooked up uh, an RE20 and a Sennheiser, I don't remember the model number, but a Sennheiser like handheld mic. And also the microphones on top of the handy recorder and got them all right there next to the bell. Dialed it in so that we weren't like peeking out too bad, and but we could still capture the tail of the reverb from the bell and ding and record. And hopefully, we get a nice good sample so that Chris can stop using that one that we're not super into and <laughs> the not quite studio bell. Yeah, yeah. So, we'll see that where that takes us. This and is trial one, it's something Drew wanted to do yeah. from right. I think your first visit here. Yeah. During my orientation, I was up here and there was something that I wanted to get done. And then it just, it didn't happen. There was just too much going on. There were a few things happening. But today it was, you know, you picked me up from the hotel and we came over here and it's like, well, we got some time. Let's record a bell. (laughs) Which seems like a strange to do on, (laughs) on your, you know, as your first task for the day. But uh, it's a way to get you warmed up, I guess. Right. I feel like I've had weird. (laughs) <laughs> all right i couldn't imagine uh, so uh, some of the stuff you've recorded the most i think is bands right is that or or helped in the audio sphere i was never really a recording engineer okay that's kind of a new journey for me is being in the studio side of things i was a live audio engineer uh for uh, right around a decade and so i would do you know i'd show up do load in uh mix a band and then load out and I also did some of the bigger events with like AAA bands and things. Yeah. And for those, it would be, you know, load in, help their audio engineer come to terms with the space, and then load out at the end of the show. 
And so I've kind of, I've done that whole spectrum. I didn't go on tour because I didn't want to, but I did do one-off gigs a lot when I was freelance where, you know, drive down to Florida and mix a band and then drive back the next day, drive up to Pennsylvania the next week. Yeah. Uh, I did that for years and that was grueling enough. I didn't want to get in a bus and be away from my dog and everybody that I knew for, you know, six months at a time. So, you know, it's getting close to 30 and it's like, well, you really don't make a lot of money in this field. It's a lot of fun when you're in your twenties and I'm so glad I did it because, you know, I feel like it shaped a lot of who I am, but I was ready to maybe do something else. So I shifted my career right around 28, 29 years old and went into IT and worked for an MSP for about five years. And then I decided to split the difference and come work for JB. (laughs) Do a little bit of both. That's right. Yeah. So um, fortunately, you know, I had I had kind of a right place at the right time moment where I had emailed Joe Ressington and um just said, hey, I saw that, uh, you know, Linux Academy has acquired the network. And, you know, I'm wondering, are you the only editor? Because it seems like you wouldn't be able to, like, take any days off, no vacations, anything like that. Yeah, or, you know, I know you guys are doing some community shows, too. Uh, I do edit some podcasts. Um, if you need help, let me know. I was basically offering to volunteer. And Joe sends me back a very um, concise email saying, oh, no, we're good, thanks. Fast forward about you know nine months, and Joe's come to the conclusion that he can't take a vacation, and you know, we want to do more shows. Well, Jupiter Broadcasting wanted to do more shows, and um, he could use some help. So he emails me back and says, hey, are you still interested? Why, yes. Yes, I am. And now I'm here. I often say that um, 50% of anything is just showing up. Mm-hmm. And in this case, just kind of putting your neck out there and saying, hey, this sounds interesting, right? Okay, it might have taken nine months, but um, mm-hmm. now look, you're here. And you described it earlier as sort of the perfect place for a, someone like you. Yeah. Well, I feel kind of uniquely qualified. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that perfect when you can find a job right. or, or or any project that sort of brings so many different aspects of you and throws yeah. them all together, right? Yeah, well, and not to say that there aren't other pro audio people in Linux, but um, I don't know. I just, I, I feel like there aren't a ton of people who necessarily have my exact skill set. Mm-hmm. So. I feel like I got in at the right moment and I got in with the right people and it couldn't have gone any better if I'd planned it. Well, it sounds like in some way you did plan it, you know. <laughs> um, just to rewind a little bit, you mentioned how some of the um, live audio engineering stuff you were doing really shaped you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, can you dive into that a little bit? What, what was it about that scene and, and those experiences Much like the Linux world, production, live entertainment production, is a very interesting space with some interesting characters. I often say, 
interesting isn't exactly a descriptive word. Is there any? Okay. Yeah. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> so my degree is in drama. Okay. Right. I went to UNC Asheville. I got a degree in drama, um, graduating in 2007. And, uh, being in the theater alone is an experience, right? Like you're going to meet and work with some people who are well outside of the mainstream. Some pretty eccentric folk. Yes. And moving from there into live audio for like concerts and things, because that's where the money and the work was more so than theater. Um, you get a different set, but not remarkably different. Everybody still like has at least one screw a little loose, maybe not fully like rattling, but it's a quarter turnout at least. Right. And that's everybody. That's the minimum. That's the minimum. Right. Or you can scale all the way up to, you know, somebody who the screw is gone and everything is rattling. You spend a lot of time with a lot of people with very disparate viewpoints Mm. and very different lifestyles. And And yet you're all in this space together. Yes. And you all have to get along. (laughs) You have no choice, do you? Right. Yeah. Well, even, even if you do not like the person, you still have to have a show go on in 30 minutes. So... Put your shit aside, yeah. get it done, and then, you know, after the show or even during the show when you've got nothing to do for an hour and a half, then you can go and scream into the void and really, you know, get it out. And then, oh, hey, look, it's time for us to go and work together again to get this loaded out. Let's figure it out again. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you always have to work out those problems. No matter what, because that show is going to happen. There are 3,000 people out there. They have all paid. And your petty stuff is not a reason to call off the show. You know, doesn't matter. Like, I've had, I've had artists on stage yelling at me for doing my job the way it's supposed to be done, but not the way that they wanted it done. Okay. You know, and, uh, you know, I've been flipped off. I've been, like, on stage during a show... I've had that happen and I had to stand there and stare this guy down, you know, stare daggers at him, just basically telling him no. Um, Is it because the space required? Yeah. So, okay. So this is actually a pretty good story. So the worst show I ever saw in my life was this show. I'm going to, I love this already. Please continue. Um, I'm not going to give the name of the the person, but it was a cooking show. And uh, the gentleman who does this cooking show, he's fairly popular and has shows on television and decided to do some live tour. And um, uh, he had a mixologist as his opening act. And the mixologist was wanting to, like, you know, hype up the crowd and really get them going. But there were people who had spent, you know, 10x on tickets to sit on the stage. Wow. Yeah, which is actually not an abnormal thing. Like a lot of times with high dollar events or things like this, you can actually get uh, 
onstage tickets or in a box seats used to be this way. You went to the theater to be seen, not to see. So a little bit of theater history for you. Can you, can Uh, you describe a mixologist as well? Oh yeah, sure. Okay. So a mixologist is somebody who makes drinks. Okay. Got it. They are, um, yeah, it's, it's a fancy bartender. Uh-huh. They often have like these elaborate tricks and yeah. it's, it's kind of theater at the same time. Right, exactly. So so that's his thing. And he wants the music to be cranked, but I've got, you know, blue hairs yeah, on stage right. sitting next to these speakers and I'm not going to push them to 108 decibels. Not going to do it. That's kind of you. Yeah. Well, you know, who's my... Who's my target audience here? Is it this mixologist that I don't care about? Nor will you likely see again. Right. Or is it, you know, the lady sitting on stage who's there to spend probably 10 grand in slots after the show? Because wow. this is when I worked for a casino. Yeah, wow. Yeah, we want to keep the lady happy. Uh-huh. Uh, know who pays your bills. It's an important thing, right? So this guy is like, yelling at me on stage on the mic flipping me off like the whole thing and i literally at that point i stepped away from the board and i crossed my arms and i just just shook my head at him and um he got chewed out after he got off stage and he came over and started trying to apologize to me i i still wasn't quite over it but you know it's just like yeah man whatever go away i'm working like because <laughs> you know there was still a show going on there are people on stage pretending to cook um <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> i don't know there's a level of professionalism that goes into you know how you're describing the crew mm-hmm. how yeah. there's a professionalism you got to put your shit on the side right but this guy is on stage just letting it out there for everybody to see and uh, that's a little bit disappointing really and it, I'm not lying when I say it was the worst show I ever saw in my life. Like, they had clearly never done a live show. Oh. And were trying to figure it out as they were going along. And they were pissing everybody off along the way. Right. Uh, half the audience left within the first hour. That's embarrassing. It was really bad. Right. So, another incentive not to piss off the people who are actually staying. Right. I don't know if they continued their tour. Um, I will say that the guy who that show was uh his restaurants don't tend to stay open very long either I see. so i yeah. see mm. so uh we went into that story you're describing how these experiences have sort of shaped you mm-hmm. in some ways so obviously interacting with people and having to figure out how to deal with people from perhaps very different backgrounds and and really different uh, eclectic folk let's say sure um, what other ways, like for you internally, uh, did it shape you? I know the schedules are kind of tricky yeah. and that would probably be the next biggest way is that my internal clock doesn't work right. Oh, um, you know, when you're used to during the week, there's not a lot going on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, those are your big days. And you're probably pulling 40 to 60 hours in the span of those four days and then you know monday tuesday wednesday not much going on you're still kind of recovering from the fact that you had you know 12 to 16 hour day thursday setting up again on friday and then say the show's on saturday and you go in and you work from morning load in all the way until the last case is back on the truck and out the door 
So that would be, you know, say starting at 9 a.m. And at this time, you know, uh, I had moved closer. My commute had been an hour and a half each way. I moved a lot closer. So it was only about 45 minutes each way. So that was a lot better. Still kind of crappy. Still, yeah. That would mean that I would be getting up around, you know, 7.30, out the door around 8, getting there with coffee in hand around 9, ready to go, lead a crew through load-in, and then there's a long stretch of the day after load-in's done where there's not much going on, you know, maybe hang out with the front of house guy and just shoot the shit a little bit, and then, you know, hang out in my office, read some news, Finally, a show happens, and then the show ends, and then we're putting things back in cases, taking set pieces back down, uh, loading all the trucks. Last box goes on the truck. Everybody says, thanks, bye. And then you're exhausted, so you end up sitting in your office with you know the, the house crew yeah. for like an hour just sitting there maybe having a beer or something like that then it's time to go home and then you get home and it's like four in the morning oh man and then you sleep for like a day yeah you know and then maybe you don't come in on monday maybe you don't come in on tuesday which is totally acceptable i imagine well yeah i was hourly so i at this point i'm at overtime i'm in overtime already you know so like, okay, yeah, it doesn't matter. So long as, you know, I had at least 40 hours, I was good, right? So doing that like every week, that takes a toll. Oh, I can imagine. You know, so it's not uncommon for me to be like awake at four in the morning, which is great for Jupiter Broadcasting because... Get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> I'm essentially on Seattle time already. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's um it is a little lucky for me that my job happens to be based around West Coast time. Mm-hmm. Um cuz you know the the my day starts at noon thing kind of works. Like it's kind of cool. And so that schedule from those years of working that has just stuck with you. You haven't been able to turn it around or have you just not been motivated or Well, uh so I did Try when okay. I worked for an MSP. I started the day at eight a.m. Right. every day. That's a nine to five, isn't it? Or well, eight, eight to four, or whatever. Eight to six. Oh, okay, got it. And usually more like eight to eight. So, yeah, I. And for that job, I kind of just got used to sleeping four hours a night. That's crazy. I know. So you know, four to six, four to six was pretty normal for me. Um, and I was tired all the time, and I didn't love it. And, yeah, it's a lot better. And, you know, I get a lot more sleep now than I used to, and it's perfect. So that definitely is another thing that's much better about this job than my past job, yeah. <laughs> at least for me personally. And so uh, can you describe for me some of the areas, because uh, this is kind of, you mentioned it was a unique combination of your interests, this current, you know, where you are now. Sure. Um, where where are you headed? Like, what are you growing in? What are you super jazzed about and, and mm. pushing? More audio 
I I am playing with more audio. You've been now. playing with some pretty fancy stuff here, from at least our perspectives, right? It seems yeah. really great. Like I get to I get to play with new equipment that I hadn't really, you know. Uh, well, especially because since I went from live to studio, yeah, this is a whole new segment for me. Mm-hmm. Like, not that it's hugely different, but there must be an amount of control that's liberating. Yeah. Well, that, but at the same time, it's it's also a little more restrictive because everything, you know, doing live, everything is getting, you know, just pumped out into the ether, right? And then it's gone. Right. It's very temporary. Like, a lot of, yeah, I'd record a lot of shows and hand them to the band after the show, but maybe three, four people going to listen to that. If it's a bigger show, you know, of course, you know, it, it could be bigger stuff, but... For this, it's record it, and then it lives on forever. I know. It just sits there for anyone to discover. Forever. Is that strange to you? I mean, conceptually, no. Yeah. But it's it's kind of a sea change for the way that I work, because there's a little more pressure for each moment to be good. Whereas before, it's like, oh, so I screwed up that guitar solo. Whoops. Oh, well. I'll fix it on the next one. Yeah. Hope nobody noticed. Ah, they're all drunk anyways. <laughs> so, you know, this is a little different. Right. Right? You know, I'm, I'm doing something that's going to be heard by multiple thousands of people, which that I'm used to. Okay? Yeah. You know, I've, I've done festivals. I've done things with you know, 10, 20,000 people. Fine. Yeah. That doesn't bother me. But the fact that it never goes away. So any mistake I make is permanent. That's so interesting. Right? Everything that I release is done with Sharpie. Yeah. You know, essentially. Yeah. Um, so it's different. I'm learning a lot more things to do with studio work and how that works in Linux because my entire workflow is in Linux. Uh, now, granted, okay, I use one program in Wine for cleaning up audio but aside from that everything is done with linux native applications and which is fairly impressive if mm-hmm. if you've heard anything about audio stuff on on yeah. the shows right it's it's really seemed to come a long way in the last few years right um, but also you've had this this really incredible juxtaposition of interest right linux mm-hmm. and audio and so i imagine the last several years you've been playing with all this stuff well, and it's also getting ready to change again. Right. So for anybody listening, I know that it's 2025 for you now. But for us here, it is mid-August 2019. So just to give you a little bit of context, that's what's happening right now is we are migrating or you know, planning to migrate, at least some people, from Pulse Audio to Pipewire. Now that's you know something that's happening in Fedora right now. We'll see who all picks it up, but it looks great. And the idea is that it's going to kind of merge all of the Linux sound servers into one Uber server that is low latency and wonderful. This sounds too good to be true. It does sound too good to be true, and I'm a little skeptical. I'm also really crossing my fingers because yes. if they can accomplish everything that their that their goals say that they want to accomplish it is going to be hands down way better than what we got now we should be moving forward all the time so Mm -hmm. that sounds par for the course yeah so fingers crossed 
And maybe a year from now, my workflow will be different, simpler, better, less error prone. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've got, I've got the error threshold down pretty far. So part of that is moving all of my workflow to Jack. I just, I always have Jack on and that helps a lot for me. So I don't know. We'll see what happens with Pipewire. I got my fingers crossed. Well, I'll cross mine for you. I'm a little hopeful, but I'm also a little skeptical. Do you have um, any interest in sort of joining that project in some way to try to help them out? Maybe. I don't know. I don't, I don't code. Yeah, of course. So like QA testing, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, I can do that. If you, if you show me how to integrate this with my current setup, I'm happy to test. I'm happy to file bugs. I'm happy to talk with developers about, you know, workflow and use case scenarios so that, yeah, maybe they understand a little bit better about targets. Well, in real world, workflows too exactly yeah like this is what i'm doing this is what i need how do you help me get there so i'm happy to do all of that uh and i might write an email i think you should yeah um Um, have uh, you ever have you ever had that kind of relationship with a piece of software before because i know you you host some of your own repositories and stuff like that but i have i i've done some work with uh various random github authors uh i did do some some report filing with regolith linux uh which is sort of like the i3 ubuntu i3 Mm -hmm. world yeah i mean here and there but i've never gotten really super deep with a project well it sounds like pipewire might be the project for you in some sense because you're you're sort of behind it hoping it goes where it wants to go True, maybe. And I'd imagine you'd, you'd have a lot of input. Well, maybe I'll go write an email. See, uh, I got to figure out who the lead dev is and um, and uh, go shake some digital hands. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anywhere you want to sort of connect people to, like send people for to find you? So I'm on Twitter. I'm not super active. Maybe, but... maybe people will start. Uh, convincing you to be active. I'm trying, man. I try. I just, I forget about it. And then... Yeah, you're doing fine. I'm the same way. So don't worry about it. I I look at it pretty much every day and I think about writing a tweet and then I'm like... "Eh." You got a ship, man. You got a ship. I know. Do people care? Like, (laughs) is, is, is this thing that I'm thinking about food right now, is this actually interesting or am I just forcing it? You know, so, well, I think it sort of goes with, um, living out your own, you know, you had described how you can be just a Drew now. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, we've obviously spent some time together in person and a Drew is fairly fascinating to me. (laughs) Um, I'm just, I'm just a one person. Right. Right. But, Mm -hmm. um, there's something about some of the knowledge that you have and some of the perspectives that you have that are really quite intriguing. And I'd imagine some other people would appreciate those. Well, so interestingly, in my last job, it was required that all of my social media be set to private. Oh. Because we had um, very conservative clients. And I'm not the most conservative person. Not, no to, not to get into the realm of politics uh, really here, but essentially... 
it was everybody who worked at that company was not allowed to be public with their views because any client could then see on Facebook, oh, they support this or they don't support this or whatever or Twitter or anything. And then that could reflect poorly on the company. I personally disagreed with that policy. Right. But it was a, the terms of hiring. Okay. So I didn't have any choice in the matter. So now I actually can be like, hey, this is me. Hi. Hi. Hey. <laughs> uh, my social presence isn't owned by a company anymore. Right. I'm no longer a corporate shill. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's it, it's kind of a new experiment for me. You know, I was learning. on social media like before yeah. all of that too, but I just, you know. I've never been super active and I know I need to be better about it. So, I mean, only if you want to, there's, there's no sense enforcing such a thing. If, if it doesn't work for you, like if it's a detriment to you. So I'm on Twitter. I'm at Drew of doom. I have an Instagram that probably hasn't had a post in six months. Right. Uh, also Drew of doom. And you're on some shows here, JB. I am on some shows. I'm on choose Linux. So go and listen to choose Linux, uh, Joe Ressington and L and I, try to um i i say try i think we succeed we keep the joy of discovering linux alive by trying everything we can you have a random spinner that that chooses is that how um, it works? we've been doing the random button on DistroWatch. all right <laughs> just trying to keep that discovery and that that spark of joy alive of this is why we all got into it. Why stop learning about it? It's so exciting, too, to find a new, even an app, right? You're mentioning yeah. an app. An app can change your way of working. Uh -huh. Or even just like a cool web page that is covering some segment that you want to know about, but maybe didn't know you wanted to know about. Like You're describing my everyday. Yeah, right? Like, uh, you know, 10 years ago, it was like crack.com was, <laughs> yeah. was our portal to the weird and the wonderful. And yeah, now it's just, I'm finding totally more useful things than that. Like dealing with Linux and open source and stuff that I really care about. So it's great. And how do you typically discover the weird and wonderful in your world? Like what are the sources for you to discover some of this stuff? Well, you know, as you get a little older, you start to realize that the weird and the wonderful is all around you. And sometimes just taking a walk and keeping your eyes open mm -hmm. is all you need. Or, you know, just hop on Reddit for five minutes. I've got some subs that, uh, that are quite enjoyable for that very reason. So, you know. Is, is there a particular one you want to send out there and share the wealth? Ooh. Oh, man. What's a good one? Oh, oh. 11 foot 8. Okay. All right. There's a bridge in, I think it's Raleigh, North Carolina, that is 11 foot 8 inches tall. And they have high quality cameras pointed at this thing for every time a truck hits it. I see where this is going. Yeah. Right. It's the 11 foot eight bridge. Okay. So check that one out. Yeah. So let's point people towards that. Uh, 11 foot eight dot reddit dot com. <laughs> just go laugh at some dumb, dumb truck drivers who just ignore all the signs and drive their car into a can opener. Okay. I think that is a fabulous place to leave our, our viewers. I said viewers, but they're actually <laughs> listeners. <laughs>
Well, thanks, Drew, for sitting down with me. This Thank is you. always a pleasure. We're going to have to do this again. Can we get a high five on Mike? Yeah, we can. Ready? One, two, three. Well done. Yes. Well done. Very pleasant talking to you this morning. I enjoyed my brunch and the eggs were delicious. <laughs> That's Brunch with Brent. <laughs> <laughs>